Every human being has creativity within, but not everyone feels the call to be an artist. An artist is someone who answers the call to create again and again. And there's beauty and value in that because if to be human is to be creative, who better to learn about creativity than from working artists? I'm your host, Mandy Harmon, a film director, creative marketer, and sometimes with my teeth gritted, consider myself an artist. This is not an interview podcast. Artbreakers is a conversation podcast. Conversing with me in Artbreakers episodes are mostly full-time creative artists of all kinds. Artbreakers aims to share with you the kind of vulnerability that deepens your creative work in meaningful ways, whether or not you identify as an artist. In this episode, I chat with the thoughtful pianist and musician Jared Ray Gilmore. We talk about the broke, miserable artist trope, substance abuse and addiction, depth work, which is a form of therapy I'm not particularly familiar with, but I learned a lot about in this episode. It's essentially an entirely different process of therapy, drawn from the work of Carl Jung, that involves going to the places within most of us that we generally avoid. We also chat about daemons, that's D-A-E-M-O-N-S, both as a term for the shadow self and also as the name of his EP album, which you can listen to on Spotify or Apple Music. Uh, We also discuss sex as creative energy and other aspects of reconciling the psyche in our numerous quote-unquote alter ego forms. At the time this was recorded, Jared Gilmore was in the process of leaving the digital media arts center nonprofit SpyHop, where he was an audio mentor for teens. He's currently training under various psychologists and starting his own practice as a personal mentor in depth work, shadow work, dream work, and other therapies of emotional thought, trauma, creativity, and subconscious. You can contact him at Jared Ray Gilmore on Instagram or TikTok. You can also find all of these links in the show notes. I also want to add that Jared is releasing an unreleased piano album that he's been working on for the past seven years. And in conjunction with that, a music video for one of the songs was directed by filmmaker Jay Monzo. And you might have heard me mention him previously on this podcast by his nickname Pepe, uh, who also happens to be my partner. Uh, It was a great shoot, and I actually handled the art direction, so look for that later this year. As you get into the episode, please excuse the water trickling in the background at the beginning. That was my self-watering plant system that still couldn't keep those poor things alive. Because I have to admit, I'm a neglectful plant parent. Uh, There's also a bit of apartment life interference throughout. Uh, I'm on the hunt for a more soundproof space, but until then, the podcast must go on. Now, without further ado, let's get into it with Jared Ray Gilmore, musician, mentor, and artist. creative as a kid you're a very creative guy you live eat breathe creativity were you always this way that's a good question i think um hi (laughs) hi and i had very creative parents um i shouldn't say creative i had very musical parents Uh, my dad is a singer and an actor he always um acted in plays. My mom was a classical pianist growing up. She's always played organ for our church. Did she teach you up. piano? She did not. She knew I would not listen to her. So she mm-hmm. she actually struggled to find me a, a pianist, like a piano teacher that I really enjoyed, which mm-hmm. took probably like 14, no, it took about like seven or six or seven years to actually lock in with a teacher. Out of high school, Started. I went to Spy Hop in high school and learned audio engineering and like beat making and stuff like that. Spy Hop's a Utah nonprofit. It's an after-school program for teens to learn graphic design, film, audio, music, podcasting. Super awesome. Super yeah. cool. Jared it's changed my life. Yeah, Jared went there and now he works there. Yeah. And now for just that's a so short cool. more t- a short time more, um, and then I'm moving on. But um, but yeah, Spy Hop. 
And then I went to Conservatory of Recording Arts. I kind of got caught behind the glass, if you will, where I was being an engineer. I felt more comfortable. My critique was not towards myself. It was towards other people. I'm really good at producing and engineering. So I kind of went down the producer and writing for film. So I started writing a lot more like scores and short film scores and um, producing lots of instrumental hip hop. And um, But all that time, I'm also engineering. I, I went to New York and interned in a recording studio, worked with a lot of cool artists, worked with KEXP Radio and <coughs> did lots of that stuff and then met people that then later brought me to that cruise productions company where we were flying from New York to Florida every other week and like doing these cruises and working with like the Beach Boys and like um, uh, recently I've been talking about this a lot but uh, Gloria Gaynor, Gaynor, Gaynor? Um, who I will survive the song yeah, and stuff yeah. like she's like the nicest lady ever but there's like really just yeah. the craziest people you could ever imagine right and yeah. uh, super fun and then the whole time especially on the cruises they have pianos all around the cruises and so every time I wasn't working a stage I would go play piano and like that's really what brought me to start writing just solo piano music because I realized like I can create while people watch me and improvise classical music and I really enjoy, like someone new would come and the song would change. And like all of a sudden I got this like really interesting um, dynamic improvisation and writing. And so I started to love playing and I started playing at restaurants. And But I also was getting sick of engineering. So I started fixing, learning how to fix pianos. Um, essentially, you I fixed just, an electric piano, right? I yeah. fixed a lot of electric pianos, yes. <laughs> nice. So like after I learned how to fix uprights, um, if you're ever in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Fine Guitars and uh, Big Reg Pianos, it's one and the same, but um, Brian, who owns it, taught me everything he knows about pianos. It's really awesome. And then also taught me everything about Wurlitzers, like vintage Wurlitzers and vintage Rhodes. And I would go around to all of the studios in Brooklyn and Manhattan and, and tune and fix, like if one of the reeds broke, because they're like from the 70s and 80s, yeah. so they're like really getting really old. So I learned how to rebuild um, those rebuild pianos and, um, tune, I tune pianos and all this stuff. I'm honestly trying to get away from it because it was so fun when I learned it, but then I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. So I, I'm trying not to rely on that because I can make a lot of money doing it, but it's like, it's not about the money. It's about my soul. And it feels like it's like, I'm not supposed mm -hmm. to be fixing a piano. I'm supposed to be playing a piano. It felt right. like some type of purgatory yeah. a little it's bit. It's a nice skill to learn, but it's so close, but so far. Yeah. It's like when I was That's in commercial film. Is. I'm like, it's film, but it's commercial film. Yeah. Eventually, Very like, similar. It was kind of exhausting. Yeah. Right? It was so close, but so far. Exactly. I felt the same with engineering, where I was just staring at what I was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so that... But you always hated creating growing up. Well, yeah, okay, so I'm a I was a perfectionist. I still am, but I've worked on it a lot. And so I never, like, from seven years old when I started piano, I, like, would almost give up before I even started writing something because I knew I wasn't good enough for what my image was of what I was trying to create. And, and was this perfectionist ideal, was this the better Jared than the Jared in your head, than the Jared you were right then, or is it a better Jared that you felt was pushed on you by your parents? Because did they support you creatively to a point did that, like, did, did their support become, like, suffocating? Did you not feel like you had the space anymore? Why, why, why was there resistance there? Yeah, well, 
That's a good question. I think I'll, I'm going to go around it until we can illuminate it a little bit. But my mom let everyone else quit piano in my family. Like she had everyone take it at seven years old. You take, take up piano and you take up soccer, right? And um, I absolutely hated it, yet she would never let me quit. I remember crying and crying like, Mom, please, I hate this. She would make me wake up an hour before school like an hour earlier than everyone else woke up, um, eventually two hours earlier. Um, and for some reason she didn't let me quit. And I also didn't take it into my own hands and quit. It was almost like I did not want the guilt and shame of letting my mother down, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so the perfectionism was twofold. Both. You didn't want to, you know, disappoint your parents, but also you didn't want to disappoint perfectionist jared who's well, way better <laughs> way better at you know it's where you want to be right it's this ideal that's unattainable maybe yeah or... and i didn't really put it into words or thought until high school when people around me started being like let's make music together let's make music together because the whole time i'm getting really good at piano even though i don't like it i start playing chopin and rachmaninoff and all and these pieces where uh, but i still think i'm not very good right i'm like have you seen Rachmaninoff's like concerto number two or three? Like I am not good at the piano. <laughs> that man was good at the piano or maybe not even good at the piano, but writing the piano. Um, and I always just, I always compared myself to the greatest in the world, you know, or in time. Was um, it, if I can't be that great, it's just not worth it. Yeah. It's not, I will never be as good as Chopin um, because of our society, you know, like our society doesn't support that type of mad genius where it kills him at 35 or whatever, you know? Um, I don't know if it supported him really well either. <laughs> no, no <laughs> it but it supported, like it ended well. it supported 250 years of beautiful music, you know? It's interesting. That is true. Um, but I did have this relationship with the, with the, with the distraught musician. Like, I always romanticize this idea of, like, my, fam my favorite musicians were all miserable and, like, tortured, you know? Do you... Do you believe in that or do you believe that's a misconception? Do you no, think artists have to be broke, depressed, miserable, you know, what are, what are these misconceptions or not misconceptions? Yeah, no, I mean, um, that's. I, I personally think that artists don't have to be broke, miserable, flaky, egotistical, narcissistic. These are sometimes the negative traits that get assigned to artists or artists tell themselves that, you know, severe mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, perfectionism, uh, all, all, you know, all these narratives can be like, oh, I, if I try to make money with my art, I'm a sellout. Yeah. Or if I try to uh, be anything but broke and miserable, I'll lose the, like, if I'm happy, I'll lose my passion for the art. Yeah. Like, where will the, where will the motivation come from? I, I personally just don't buy into that, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. I, my story is a hundred percent connected and intertwined in that narrative. Um, because I, because of that perfectionism, I'm going to tie all of that together, but because of the, my perfectionism, I did not create my best friend in high school was like starting a band, playing at Kilby court, doing all these things. And it's like, Jared is the musician. Why is this illustrator like, uh, like we were best friends. So everyone knew us as like a team. And it's like, why, why he was always like, dude, make music with me, make music with me. And I was just like, um, essentially I just never tried because I knew what my vision was, was not connecting it. The dots weren't connecting. Um, and so as that went on, I started to, I found like, I grew up very Mormon and very, um, 
more like traditionally conservative religious yes 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 and very very um naive to like drugs and alcohol and so when i turned 18 i found out all my friends had been smoking weed and i was like what the hell like why am i (laughs) why didn't you invite me and they're like dude we didn't like we didn't want to corrupt you and i was like i want to be corrupted please and uh and so i started smoking weed and my musical life like blossomed like i all of a sudden my critic went to sleep i'd like i drowned out my inner critic and all of a sudden i started writing like this crazy i got into ableton live mm-hmm. by the way like i quit piano at that point like i was like my my piano teacher that i like fell in love with not actually he's just like was he made me fall in love with piano you know mm-hmm. and but then he left and i was like i'm 18 now i'm gonna start making electronic music and hip electron like instrumental hip-hop carve my own path yeah and i i liked that it pulled my spirit pulled me towards that and i started smoking weed and getting like i would do like adderall and i would do all these things and drink alcohol and like my my critic would die and i would mm. be able to like just pour out these, is that what drew music. you the did you feel like you were you could quiet your critic sober or is that what no drew you no to... exactly I see. that's why oh, not the only reason i started doing a lot of drugs and alcohol but a yeah. big reason was that i did not I just all of a sudden this whole world opened to me when I stopped stopping myself mm-hmm. from doing things. And uh, but what happened is I developed that, you know, that twisted, dark artist mentality where I was like, I have to suffering. be tortured. And yeah, I have to suffer. Right. F- for this to matter. Right. And so then when, it, you know, 10 years later, I'm 27 years old and I um, realized that like, Still drinking. a great piano player, but well, also... that's actually interesting. I, I oh. got really good at piano, being blackout drunk all the time. Really? Yeah, I would just play and play and play and play and play and play, and it just like let. It almost was like, I got so drunk that my ego would go to sleep, mm-hmm. and no, the thing that was left is just unconscious Jared, right? Like, mm-hmm. not a pretty sight, but musically very interesting. interesting. Um, but I kind of developed a relationship with it where I let this. Damon, this musical Damon, in, mm-hmm. enter into my body, essentially. Okay, I want to pause just for a second, and okay. I want to define some terms here. You talk a lot about, and I know it's going to come up, about shadow work and demons. And I, from a spiritual and metaphorical lens, I think we all have demons that we're all, you know, struggling with, suffering with. But I think you have a slightly different definition on what the, those demons are. And I want to know what that means for you, because even if I may not literally align with that, I believe it's tools that can help other artists and creatives if it helps them. Not everything works the same for everyone else. And so I'm very interested to learn about shadow work, how how this has helped you in your artistic process, and how it also helped you overcome a lot of those, a lot of that substance abuse concerns, right? That right, were eventually yeah. a decade later probably had some diminishing returns. Yes, exactly. Um, well, so I use the word Damon, D-A-E. Or D-A-I in some some language or different context, but D-A-I-M-O-N, Damon. Which is, which is also coincidentally the name of your AP, EP. Yes, D-A-E-M-O-N, yeah. Damon. Um, it, it's actually, I've only recently, like literally last week, came into a whole new history. Words are very interesting because they evolve as you get to know them and you learn more about it. But my initial understanding of Damon, I think it was like Socrates or some philosopher who described them as 
described it as a voice in his head that wasn't his conscience. It was this idea of these beings between humans and gods that essentially were from the golden age, quote unquote, um, that were like creative genius, essentially, that would um, use you, the human, to achieve their goal. And they didn't necessarily care, or they don't necessarily care if you know your human needs are met um they'll bully you around to get to their end goal their agendas i think you'll have certain daemons attached to you and your skill set as a human so that and this is all metaphorical or real it doesn't really matter either does it it almost seems to not matter to me because the principle still stands yeah and i'll explain like my relationship yeah i'm curious but um but the idea was that they did not care of your human nature as in Let's say I'm working on a song and I walk in and 14 hours later, I realize I haven't used the restroom. Yeah. I've had to use the restroom, but I haven't. I've not eaten. I haven't slept in three days. Like um, this energy will take over and not care about your human body. It's yeah. really interesting. But then on the other side, if I ignore that call to that energy or if that daemon's knocking on my door and I'm like, screw you, I'm going to watch TV, um, then I get really depressed. Um, because you have cre- creative energy that needs to be channeled somewhere. Right, and that daemon, this is really interesting actually, it turns into the demon. Demon. I always put a D at the end for some reason. Demon. And the demon is, I think of it as like uh, an expression of energy, right? And the daemon is trying to express it um, via like, a creative agenda whereas the demon is f- trying to s- express that creative energy via the path of least resistance so that looks like me impulsively doing things like drugs and alcohol to achieve a f- uh, a feeling of like accomplishment or or lifefulness is the word i've been using mm-hmm. um so what happened was i would stop listening to my my that perfectionism right that that image of like the perfect song was actually my daemon's image like this is what the daemon wants Mm -hmm. and it is asking me to get to that level and create that but there's only one way to do that and it's by creating a lot of not as good music right right gotta make some garbage before you make some good stuff so a daemon isn't exactly like a muse because a muse would be a source of inspiration yeah but this is almost like a a symbiotic relationship almost or a co or a intertwined relationship where they're they're pushing you as much as you're following them yeah well and let me explain it in different word or different context because like if you think of it more like an aspect of your psyche so like you've got your ego this relationship with me and my daemon was i felt intense pressure and when i ignored it it would find a way to express itself via the path of least resistance, which looked like um, a lot of um, impulsive behavior, drinking a lot, smoking a lot, looking a lot of pornography. I don't like that word, porn. Um, Just things that were easy that would express this creative energy. Sexual energy is very creative. Um, In fact, I think sex is probably the, the... easiest way to expel creative energy it's like the ultimate creative energy not saying that you should 
stop having sex to be cr- more creative. I'm not trying to be Freud. Some people do believe Freud, that. Some people... Freud was way into that. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. But it's very interesting. And there's a huge scene online, and I actually am not. I do not jive with that. But I, I want to try to get back to that psychological point of view because it's not so much that um, you have to be woo-woo and spiritual about this idea. I thought of it much more like I was personifying the aspect of my like my psyche that was the critic or like the perfectionist right mm. and so i'm personifying I've named, I've called it. mine the censor before sure yeah yeah i mean and i'm sure a lot of artists recognize their daemon they might just not use that word for it is it like a one singular daemon or yeah multiple or sometimes multiple? yeah i i have it's evolved i don't think you can ever really try to define these abstract things mm-hmm. um for me it was really helpful to separate my identity from my daemon so that i could start to have conversations with it and set boundaries with it so it's like i know you want to work on this project but i'm going to spend 15 minutes in the morning before i have to go to work because i don't have time to do 14 hours today but i'm going to give you 15 minutes if you um allow me to be human and go to work and make some money and then I promise to do that every, like, I'm, I literally am talking to this part yeah. of my psyche, right? That's like... The creative, the creative call that's calling you to go right. make this, go do this, go experiment. Because if I ignore go. it, I'm going to get, sh- like, guilty and I'm going to get impulsive and I'm going to... Um, Act out, almost. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, yeah, this thing gets childish and it yeah. takes over. And it's like, yeah. well, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm not going to give you the choice. Yeah. Um, and then you don't get to use the creative intelligence of like your life's work of like spending 15 years learning piano. Now it's just um, how can we expel this energy as quick as possible? Was the Damon concept relevant in your life prior to uh, alcoholism and drugs? And was it was it involved enough prior to that or did you come to these definitions and this understanding to help you maybe overcome some of those things so then you can get back to that creative core? Yeah, it's a good question because I did not understand anything. Like, I just became more and more... Yeah, I got more and more unconscious up until I was 27. I see. Yeah, so in, when I was 27, I was in New York City. I was um, dating someone that I... Like, we both felt like it was going really well. Um, I was fixing pianos and electric pianos and recording studios all over Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, I was creating music. I was like working with some people on some films around me, like in my piano. It was really interesting, but I, and I was always making music. I'm always making music. I'm just always, it's just something I can't not do. Right. Or else I act out and do crazy shit. But, um, so 27 happened and I, and I'm drinking a lot, right? Like I'm still not quite like you can be creative and still not be listening to your inner daemon, which I like to personify it because it's like this thing that's like, no, dude, you're supposed to be doing this project. Mm-hmm. Like you keep getting your will involved or your ego's like 
like, oh, I think I should do this because then I can make money off of it. Or, oh, I should do this because people will like it better. But it's but, like... But would you still get depressed because it's not the thing you're yeah, supposed exactly, to be working on? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I started like... I, I realized many years earlier that drinking was not doing me any good um, and that um, I needed to stop. And I would stop for six months at a time. And then mm-hmm. out of nowhere on a cruise ship, I would... Um, what were you doing on a cruise ship? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on a lot of cruise ships. So I, like nine weeks out of the year, usually during the winter, I was doing music, like running audio, helping run audio for a production company called Cruise Productions on all sorts of different uh, cruise lines. So we would do like hip hop cruises. We would do uh, hard rock cruises. We would do disco cruises, 70s, 60s. Nice. Like pretty much every kind of cruise and they would just invite like 40, 50 bands for a week and I would just like we would build five different stages and it would just be a music festival on a cruise ship. Yeah. Party hardy. It was intense. Yeah. yeah. We would party pretty hard. Yeah, for sure. Even though we were working the entire time, like 36 hours straight day. Like that, some days we would like not sleep. That sounds like the cruise sleep. line thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds right. Well, it's also the audio engineering thing. Yeah, I got you. Uh, um, <laughs> so anyways... I got to a point where I ruined my relationship because of my drinking. Um, not, not because of my drinking, actually. Because of my where the state of my psyche. Yeah. I was contradicting myself all the time. I was acting out behaviors that were contrary to what I wanted. You've, you've used the term unconscious a few times. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one. But Meaning, did you feel asleep? That's a good question. I mean, that's a good uh, word for it. Yes. Like, I did not know who I was, what I was doing. I thought I did. And then um, if you removed any external validation or path or like, you know, like, ooh, a new project, I'm going down that path. Like, if you removed all of that and left me in a room alone, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, yeah. in my life. What was left. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea what was going on. Um and so what happened was just a lot of acting out um, and uh, doing things that hurt people around me, you know, people I loved. Um, and so in a desperate attempt to save that relationship, I decided to get sober and then I started doing 12 steps and like absolutely loved it. Kicked out like when I started to go, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like. I've always wanted to be constantly on mushrooms and that's what it feels like to like start to experience a spiritual lifestyle with people all around you, you know, Mm. I was like, wow, like I don't even have to take mushrooms to feel this way. It was really interesting. I actually like said that like my 90 days and everyone like thought I was crazy. It was really funny, but um, legit, that's how I thought. I was like, man, this is like, this is the person I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be full of life. You felt know. more connection and yeah alive part of probably. a community yeah. part of a community of people work working towards growth and health and, and progression and and structure yeah right? lots of structure that lots was actually huge help for me was just the structure of like go to a meeting um like put it in your calendar you know like i was like whoa my phone has a calendar i had no idea you know mm-hmm. um and so pieces started to come together after that yeah, well, and I'm I w- sure it wasn't all roses around that time. <laughs> no, no, because then I ended I'm up like sure. I ended up ending that relationship out Still of really brutal. more, like 
I was like on a roller coaster and it's just like, I don't want to drag this person I care about mm-hmm. behind this roller coaster that might never end. Like, I yeah. have no idea. Um, what, did, what did your parents think? So you were, you were working on cruise lines, you were working around in New York at different production houses and all kinds of stuff, dabbling a little bit of everywhere, but always a musically, artistically minded career, always. Yeah. What did your parents think about that, about that as you're growing up and then as you hit adulthood? Oh yeah, I never got into this. My mom never let me quit the piano. Mm-hmm. And every, I have eight siblings. They all were able to quit. Where are you in the lineup? I'm the second to last. Second to last. Um, and she didn't let me quit. And I was like, why didn't you let me quit? And asking her that nowadays, she's like, because you played and sent, like you had something different that no one else had. And I would feel guilty if I let you quit. Are you glad she didn't let you quit? Oh, yeah. 100%. Piano is like You're my saving grace. Glad she pushed you. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely... The only way I understand myself is through the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, did, well, you, did you hate it for a while because she was telling you to do it? And parent-kid yeah, 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 relationships yeah. are always a little bit tricky sometimes, you know? My mom tried to teach me math, and then fifth grade hit, and I got sent to public school. I was homeschooled before that, but, you know, you fight for three hours at the dinner table over math, and then you get sent to public school, yeah. <laughs> which, which was the thing. You know, so, I mean, I, was it, like, a similar situation? Like, I, you know, did... When, here's actually, here's what I want to know. Yeah. I want to know when the resistance to practice piano, to get on the piano, when it shrank to a need rather than you have to do this. Yeah. Well, when I quit for three years and I got a bone infection in my right arm for three years where I could not use my right hand for about two and a half years, I stopped practicing the piano, obviously. Well, actually, weirdly enough, I played a lot for having uh on the left hand <laughs> a, no i oh actually my mom bought me like a left-handed only piano book and stuff like i thought my arm was getting chopped off um, oh that's devastating it was a lot of trauma actually very intense i always forget that that's a huge part of my story but um but once i came back i think it was the aspect of not possibly not being able to ever do it again yeah that really when i like came back to health i was like holy shit i'm so grateful for my hands you know like my arms like appreciated it differently probably yeah and then i like i said though i would drink a lot and so i started to every time i would drink i would make music Mm -hmm. like i kind of got lucky in a weird way where Mm -hmm. i was a blackout drunk but i would blackout and make music yeah it's been lucky (laughs) but also not right because like i mean at least you were i don't know other stuff blackout drunk i mean at least it was music but at the same time uh were you still building kind of a correlation like I perform better under the influence? Than yes, not, yes, right. And that's because the sometimes thing we that's got a to. dangerous place. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about going to getting to twenty seven, where yeah. I'm getting sober and I'm like, I'm never gonna be able how to make I music s- again. Yeah, how like, do I still I be a good artist? Thought, what I do? I'm just gonna have to. If move I'm not on. miserable anymore, if I don't use substances anymore, if I'm you right, know, not I as neurotic healthy, anymore, yeah. if I live a more healthy lifestyle, right? Who am I? Right. What's where's the art? Yeah. You know, where's the passion? Where's the adventure? Where's no, the... these are real thoughts. Like those were yeah. real thoughts that I was having where it's like, I guess I just have to give up on. I thought people won't, won't like me anymore if I get sober. I won't make any good music anymore. Like I'll be boring. I'll be like all these things. Um, and I was like, it's better than like suffering till I die. You know, it's better than not waking up with energy. And, or, I don't you, know. If you probably got to a point where there. something had to give. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it was done. It, yeah, you, I was losing the things that I cared about the most. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing? Were you able to keep the lessons that you learned when you were? Because uh, one thing that you said that was really 
helpful for you was your sensor was quieted. Your your imposter, you know, your your perfectionist, mm-hmm. your your perfectionism was quieted. So it wasn't as paralyzing to be creative anymore. You weren't so focused on the outcome. Like, what is this going to be? And is it going to be amazing? Oh, that's it, yeah. You could focus more on the process. Were you able to keep those lessons even as you got sober? Were you able yeah. to kind of find a way to still have that passion but not be reliant on? Yeah, I like how you said that because it definitely turned into... And this is a huge problem for a lot of creatives where we focus so much on the outcome rather than the process. And like what I developed was a intense relationship with the present moment, like a really good relationship with the present moment. I've said this like on my TikTok videos and stuff where it's like my issue wasn't alcohol. My issue was with the present moment and mm-hmm. alcohol fixed that for me. Interesting. And then when it, I it helped you be more present or yeah. it helped? I see. And then when it stopped, when it started having gnar- gnarly side effects, yeah. I had to find a different way to fix my relationship with the present moment. So, but those lessons of like, oh, it's not about like, I actually pendulum swing and was never thinking about what I was creating until it came out. It was like I would birth chaos and and then I would be like, it's like when I write piano songs, I it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. Like when I play a piano song, because when I write a piano song, it just, I play it. It just, it just plays itself. And it, I am the listener hmm. and it's really fun. Do you feel like it comes from a power outside of yourself? Yeah. And that's well, the Damon kind of concept, yeah, right? Yeah. Interesting. A lot of, a lot of artists will talk about that, right? They tap into a source mm-hmm. that's something a bit beyond themselves, right? It, some Christians like to use like, oh, that's God, you know, other maybe more secular ideas of thought would be like, mm, that's just creativity or that's just inspiration or that's intuition, but whatever it is, it's an X factor. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's something emotional, something intangible. It's something more spiritual, um, something experienced rather than necessary. Like it, it, you can try to communicate about it, but it yeah. just sometimes has to be experienced. Well, and that's my effort in, uh, and I cannot claim that this was my own adventure, like learning about the Damon. Like I found a really cool therapist who started to explain to me what Damon's were mm-hmm. and what, um, setting boundaries with daemons look like and things like that where, where does the psychology of thought come from it's not Jungian, is it but, uh the psychologist or therapist that you're working with he kind of introduced you to this idea and it clicked yep yeah it was very um my experience with therapy has been like one day we'll use like that more spiritual like woo woo perspective and i love it and then the next day i'm like my rational mind will tear it apart right Mm, and mm -hmm. so then we come at it from like a more psychological view and then i'll tear it apart and then or or it's still a helpful tool it is helpful but i doesn't i don't tear it apart let me reward that because i actually it gets it loses its spirit like it loses the excitement Mm -hmm. um and so then i it works if you believe it kind of thing essentially yeah and and like it's too sterile like to look at it from straightly uh like neuroscience like psychological perspective um so then um we he was able to like move around with me mm-hmm. um on different frameworks which is really really helpful okay so like we would use Damon sometimes we would use more Jungian terms sometimes we'd use and Jungian terms like we would do a lot of dream work and and look at my how my dreams are showing up mm-hmm. um in reference to like like this and or he doesn't use the word anima but jung did but this character in your psyche and in your dreams that's 
bringing you information from your deep self mm-hmm. or your higher self that is like information that wants to be conscious that mm-hmm. wants to become conscious um so we, we did a lot of that and that's depth work is like personifying a daemon is depth work depth work right um digging depth work is just like the internal diving into your psyche yeah diving and and learning and mapping it out you know Mm -hmm. and defining characters and personifying aspects like complexes you know like my Mm -hmm. money complex draw a face of it like i have Mm -hmm. like this weird i call him weird uncle al um complex Mm -hmm. that tells me things that like i should you know like think a certain way very dogmatic very like my parent or my childhood upbringing stuff like that where i try to personify that as not me so that i can see it for what it is and start to like have conversations with that aspect of my psyche it sounds like schizophrenia in a weird way it's almost like controlled schizophrenia where you're starting to have conversations in your head which makes it not schizophrenia yeah Yeah. but but i but i see what you're saying you're you're developing alter egos to your benefit yeah um there's this book called the alter ego effect which is uh, written by this life coach guy who works with a lot of athletes ceos high-end business very rational mm-hmm. based people but he uh brings in similar concepts honestly but they're worded differently but essentially the idea with the alter ego effect is of course you're not the same person at the office as you are with your partner as you are with your kids as you are at you know in some other community as you are alone of course you're not going to be the same person but the issue that we have often just as humans is reconciling our contradictions within it, within ourselves, you know, because we're, we're many, we're, we're, we're many, we can be a lot of different ways. And sometimes we just don't give ourselves the permission to be because we're like, Oh, that's not authentic. If I'm not the same at the office as I am, you know, with my partner. And that's just not true. That still can be an authentic part of yourself. But it's of course, different situations will bring out alter egos yeah. of, of, of you well that's really interesting because i've spent so much time creating these different characters and personifying them and i have like this what for some reason the word citadel always comes into my mind but i think of like a group like a, a jury of sorts where when i go deep in and i'm i'm there's like five six seven eight people that i'm like well what do you think well what do you think and they all have different opinions right but this is all me this is all my psyche um but there are differing opinions and differing differing um perspectives right um and when i personify them i allow them to exist simultaneously in my in my conscious psyche rather than suppressing one of them so what are some of these other identities if you will and how do they affect your art right you're jared a musician but you're also jared the mentor and you're also jared you know hanging out with mandy right now recording this podcast right now and i'm sure this jared's a little bit different than say the Jared, who's an audio mentor to teens at a nonprofit. Yeah. Well, and I would, I would go as far, I would go as far as to say that I actually am quite similar externally. Um, and I choose to keep the chaotic, the chaos of opinions in my inner world and create a, a hierarchy of value to those opinions. So mm. I have to go in and check in with myself, which going back to cognitive functions that we were talking maybe before we started the podcast, this, um, my introverted feeling is a really important, um, co-pilot of mine. As in, I go into this place of checking in with my deep inner self and creating those value hierarchies. Mm-hmm. So then I know how I want to show up authentically. So then how do you define success? If you have a hierarchical way, which I think is 
reasonable and <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Uh, how would you define success? Success for me is um, if I can show up authentically, if I'm happy, if I um, have a roof over my head and food to eat and can provide energy for the people around me. Really, like, success for me is having enough energy to take care of myself and the people in my life. Mm-hmm. Sharing, like, helping. I've been thinking a lot about digesting emotions with people. Sometimes emotion is too much for one person. And I want enough energy to also help people digest around me. And so success is the ability the ability to do that. Mm. Um, which means I have to pay attention to my daemon. I have to be creating music. I have to be following this drive of mine mm-hmm. because there lies it's almost like a video game where I like will find energy bars. Like yeah. uh-huh. and like and I have to follow that path or else I never run into those energy bars and then I'll mm-hmm. slowly dwindle. So Yeah, if you drain your stamina wheel completely exactly. it's a little bit harder to recharge than to just drain a little bit and let it recharge. Yeah. yeah. So I spend a lot of time re evaluating where that path is because i can feel myself draining or whatnot so So success is like being on that path what kind of impact do you want to have then as an artist or as a mentor in helping other like-minded individuals well i want to help people become i want to help people explore their psyches and become more balanced in their psyches which isn't something i do it's something i teach you to do um and in that often there's a creative element uh, element that i'm trying to pull out of like especially with extremely rational people there's a non-rational aspect of it that is incredibly important and spiritual um but through my music i'm also trying to connect and create safe like i think of like humans as being inherently traumatized like at birth and uh and i don't mean to downplay trauma by the way um, but there is this like first breath that I think a lot, like it's like consciousness is terrifying. And, uh, and I think that one of the greatest important things in my life was connecting to other musicians as I was going through like puberty and like going, like realizing how difficult it is to just be alive and be happy and like, um, connect with people and feel seen and authentic. Well, and, and you want to be a mentor. I'm sure you've had other mentors throughout your life help guide you. Oh, yeah. Who, who were some of those, you know, you said you connected with some people, other musicians growing up. Yeah, well, weirdly enough, I think of my mentors, they don't know that I was a mentee, you know? Mm. Um, even people that I never met, like, weirdly enough, like, Saddle Creek Records, uh, I don't know if you've listened to any of them, but, like, I was obsessed with Cursive, this band, uh, Bright Eyes, mm-hmm. um, The Faint, this, this this weird Saddle Creek Records just, like, changed my life in a lot of ways, but they sang a lot of Cursive, uh, Tim Kasher, who also did The Good Life, he sang about a lot of deep, introspective, like, religious um, struggles, you know, and lots of things that just got me thinking as a kid, so, and I, like, we've, I mean, we've, said hi to each other because I went to like his movie premiere in New York or something, but he wouldn't know who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he might actually know my sister, which is t- totally a different story and you totally random, end. but yeah. <laughs> um, but I almost like to keep those types of mentors far enough away that I don't know who they really are mm. because then I can kind of keep this magical like 
admiration aspirational kind yeah, of yeah 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 um, of who they are but then i had friends like my friend sam cheney who in high school he dated my sister and then they broke up and we became way good friends and he was always just like you have to listen to this and he would like sit me down i remember animal collective's album uh Mary Weather Post Pavilion or whatever it's called. Um, I I I'd never look at words like I'd see it as like a symbol, mm-hmm. so I can never remember what that album's called. But anyway, um, he made me sit down and put headphones in, and he like watched me listen to the whole album, and it like changed my life. Um, whereas like I would have never had the patience to listen to that, and so he understood me in a weird way that he, maybe he doesn't even understand. He did that he would push me to like dive into my musical being you know mm-hmm. um did that teach you a lot about your creative process that taught me a lot about um that taught me more about being open to connecting through music not through genre like through so many different types of styles and like he taught me more of like finding humanity through music you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. finding and the personal connection through music, um, which is way important for me to understand that. And I didn't is that really the passion. Is that the why? Is that like the recenter that remotivates you when you need remotivating? Remote, yeah, I, definitely. It's all about like. Well, for me, it's it's something that I struggle to talk about because it sounds so woo woo. But like, I feel like I have an intense. I swear, it's a safe space. Even 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 if I don't like fully like literally, I'm on board. I honestly, I appreciate the tools. I do. Yeah. Because they will speak to someone. Even, uh, the same tools that I've used. I talk a lot about the artist's way, the alter ego effect. Honestly, very similar concepts to what you're saying, though. Yeah. But what you're saying will resonate differently. Yeah. And, I, and so, it's a little different, too. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's everyone the point has it. their own little story, right? <laughs> yeah. But I... Um, so when I go in and I check in with that inner um, authenticity, that inner hierarchy of values something that always reinvigorates and brings back to me like an intense passion to be in the world is um, like my ability to relate and like um, create safe spaces Mm. through like through connection and music. Um, I feel like I can see and understand people coming from where they're at, like where they're at. I can see where they're at and I can um, like appreciate and, and be excited with them. I think like, so actually let me go back. Cause I think really what it is is that I have like an intense desire and ability to get people excited about things. And so when I reconnect to that aspect of my music, as in like when I play piano, it gets dull when I'm alone. And then mm-hmm. I, when a student sees me playing piano and they're like, what? Like, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, cool. Yeah, like, this is so exciting. Like, I love being the excitement. Yeah. It um, gets, it keeps giving. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And so I will teach my student, like, how to do crazy arpeggios, you know? And it, like, blows their mind. Um, and, which is really funny because it's like, to me, I, it's almost unconscious. Weirdly enough, doing that, piano so much in an unconscious state as in like literally blackout like i don't remember any of the music i wrote during that time because i never recorded any of the piano um but i did it all the time i know um and i have a like my relationship to piano still almost feels like unconscious it was like Mm. so when i try to teach piano specifically i get lost i'm like 
I don't know how I got to this point. You know, like is that the flow state? Is that what that is? To getting lost, getting. I mean, sometimes it is. If yeah. it's like productive, I think almost. No, I but think then it, maybe not. Flow I mean, state can be evil. I think there's a light and a dark side to everything, so, and mm-hmm. we don't ever talk about the dark side of flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, is the dark side, you know, losing yourself for 12 hours and, and not like, taking oh, care of your drink body, water, and yeah. I didn't eat food, and right, I relate to that one yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's and not be good. 6 p.m. It, I'm sucked into a project. I'm like, yeah. did I? I got up just yeah. now. <laughs> like, I haven't even had breakfast yet. Like, what's going My on? My legs will be and tingling yeah. from like sitting too long. Oh, yeah, no concept, no yeah. concept of the physical world. Anymore. It's really bad for the body, which yeah, is interesting because it's what's housing the, the creativity. It's unfortunately and fortunately a very important aspect of being alive right did you have any moments where you're like dear god i can't do anything but this like this like the artistic life is for me like this is you know this is who i who i am for better or worse what was like that moment for you or was it gradual was is there an experience you can recall and share yeah no it definitely happened once i got sober and when I was working with my therapist and yeah. I realized like... Was music still coming to you as you're getting sober or did you feel like it went quiet for a little bit and did that make it harder? Because, I, you know, you're, you're in a period of transition. Your avenues of creativity and Oh yeah, we never went into that. Yeah, well, so I definitely felt this, uh, a, a shift. I felt like I was taking a conscious part in creating music for the first time ever, which was really, really difficult. It was that... Um, um, the critic wasn't there though. It's almost like I had trained the critic away. Mm-hmm. But the responsibility was? Yeah. Or like the intent. It was like, all of a sudden I was like, I have to have a reason for this all of a sudden. Oh, it's I've really have interesting. have a why or else there's no point. Yeah. And yeah. so then Is I... Is that outcome thinking? Or yeah. That... Yes. But also like, I, it's almost like building a sandcastle over and over and over again for 15 years and then being like, I need to put this into a contest or something, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, it was so good for me for so long, but then it, at a certain point, it's just like, am I going to just build a sandcastle again? Like, I think I, I need to do What's something next? with this. Yeah. Like yeah. I should go to a sandcastle beach challenge or whatever. <laughs> that's so weird. I don't know if that's a Honestly, thing. that's a really good lesson though. I liked that analogy a lot. Yeah. Because yeah, you can make something and that's fantastic and you should make things again and continue to make things. And you know, and you don't want to fall into the trap of going into creating something and you're thinking about the outcome first, right? Because then you'll get so paralyzed by what that perfectionist outcome looks like that you won't be able to participate in the process. Yeah. So there's there's a balance, but I think I think that you should still, once you have created something or once you've gotten a few reps in, you should look at that thing and be like, can I share this? Yeah. Can I well, share this? Yeah. That brings up a really good... Um, framework that I have worked with my therapist on which is the hero's journey mm-hmm. a lot of people are kind of familiar with it but let's say you have for me it's like I go into the forest I leave my community and I go into this dark forest and in that forest I'm running into all of these creative ideas like um, tons of creative ideas in fact I get so many creative people like being in the forest is when you're bombarded by a thousand different ideas, right? And then you find the idea and there's a dragon guarding gold and it's a cave and you have to kill that dragon. But let's say you just keep wandering. Like you see it and you're like, no, that's too scary. Or I'm just going to keep wandering. Of the ideas or, yeah. you know, but then you get lost in the forest, right? <laughs> yeah. And I would get so lost in the forest that even when I was not in that 
cycle of creativity, I would smoke a ton of weed to get thrown back into the forest. Oh, and I would just keep smoking to get into that uh, forest again. Mm-hmm. So it's like my, my therapist told me this is like some people are not creative and weed helps them be creative. Mm-hmm. You are inherently creative. You don't need weed. <laughs> do, do you think do you think that there are some people who just aren't creative? I think that they're not in touch with their creativity. Yeah. Um, I think that it can be almost impossible to get in touch with their creativity and that's okay, but there yeah. is creativity always. We are inherently creative. creative. Yeah, we are just I agree. Like I don't I don't know if sexual all, energy is creative. I might have mentioned this the other day. I don't think I don't think that everyone is called to pursue artistic lives right. where the where their whole life's built on creativity right but everyone is creative yeah. and everyone you know should be able to tap into that when or, big... or else you will reach 60 years old and you will have a crisis yeah you'll have neurosis like, and intense yeah. what's my hobbies what's my passion what do i like you know yeah and i think it's a big part of healing too is you get to a healed i always like this about carl jung who um once his he would do psychoanalysis on people and once they came to this point where they were feeling extremely good he would start having them paint paint their dreams paint things like personify their beings in their psyche and paint them and like even when they weren't artistic he was just like okay we're gonna paint now it's like really interesting it was just like the next step is like okay now you're gonna be you're gonna create art and i think there's a huge part of the non-rational like it's almost like we have a society that's heavily rational it's like a, a left arm and a right arm and we've decided to like just use our right arm over and over and over again and so we're like super jacked on our right arm Mm -hmm. but our left arm is totally atrophied this non-rational very creative very like organic and chaotic and fertile um left arm is atrophied in our society and um part of working that out is getting a little creative yeah and i talk about carl jung a lot there's really good things about him and really bad things about him um so don't you know take that with a grain of salt but there um but his idea around neurosis which that word i assigned to like depression anxiety bipolar schizophrenia like those types of splits in the psyche or like intense um uh dissonance in the psyche stem from um literally like polarizing ideas that then kind of like rip apart um and that I, I see it a lot um, when people go through a faith crisis. Yeah, a lot, right? When they're a part of a, uh, let's say, like a high demand religion that you know re- requires them or asks of them to be a certain way, and they want to be that way. But you know, if they are split, right, where they're like, I, you know, maybe they're gay in a non-gay accepting community, yeah. right? Um, I, I, I've seen this happen again and again. It's a very clear example. There can be a, a complete split of that person, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have an at-church self and a different self, right. which is everything else. Yeah. And it turns into this, like, this self, the church self is the good self, and this self is the bad self. And it's just split to where it's so hard to live authentically because you haven't reconciled your center, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the psyche wants to be whole. And when I say psyche, I kind of, that's kind of like a jargon word, but when I, when I say that, I mean like the mind, body, spirit. Like yeah. the, the wholeness of your being mm-hmm. wants to be like balanced and whole. And, and it's really interesting. I made a TikTok video this morning of like the psyche in its effort to balance itself will send up unconscious information. So 
I, really quickly, there's and and I liked what you said also, um, and I want to bring this back in. But there is, as you grow up, you start to identify as Jared. I start to, I hit my head a bunch, and my parents call me clumsy. Jared is clumsy. Like I start to really, I, my ego grows, and it's healthy. Um, but I Jared is a be, piano player. Right. He spent a decade playing piano yeah. over a decade. Right. You know? Or Jared is a drunk or Jared, yeah. you know, there's lots Jared's of things. Jared's an alcoholic. Jared's but what a... happens is that there's a shadow created of that. It's literally like if Jared's a drunk, then the shadow of that is Jared is a healer. You know, like Jared is a, is a, like a spiritual, like strong yeah. person. If he's, di- if, if he's a drunk, if he's a disconnected drunk, then he is a connected character. Right. Just use a little alliteration yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, and that's my shadow, right? So shadow doesn't have to be bad. Shadow is just what you're not, what you don't identify as. And Is that the, the split idea? Well, so if it's so unconscious. So the shadow is unconscious, as in I don't think, oh, I'm a drunk and I'm this uh, connected spiritual person. I think I'm, dr- I'm a drunk and I'm worthless. And that spiritual being part gets shoved deeper and deeper the more I identify as a drunk, right? And what happens is it's like a slingshot or a rubber band where the ideas get more and more polarized, kind of like our society right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more and more polarized it becomes, the more and more tension there is between the two ideas and the more and more likely that, um, that you're essentially you're psyche's effort to become balanced will start to overtake your conscious like ability to control your life so like what happens is um that's kind of an interesting uh example let me do a a different one like um clumsy versus like embodied and like you know adept athletic yeah super athletic or whatever right so the shadow is i'm super athletic um and what happens is the more and more um, you drive that into your unconscious, the more and more you have like intense depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. these, um, and this is like a oversimplification, but, but what the shadow work is, which, and I'm trying to remember why I started talking about this, but is incorporating aspects of your shadow. So it's like, okay, I'm clumsy. But what if I start doing yoga? You know, what if yeah. I get into my body and start to uh, essentially hold, maybe I'm clumsy and I do yoga. And all of a sudden there's like this contradiction and paradox in mm-hmm. your in your psyche. And that's where it starts to heal. And that's, and you can leave them both mm-hmm. there. They don't have to fight and like one overcome the other one. I could see how if you continually identify yourself as one thing or a set of things, that the opposite of those things become excluded. Like you cannot be those things. Yeah. And that's the shadow, right? Yes. So as soon as you start pushing yourself out of your comfort zone into that opposite world, mm-hmm. then you good can things surprise yourself. Good thing good yeah. things happen. Or bad things. It's kind of interesting. Things. That's a the work like psyche work is really interesting because sometimes you think you're moving into a positive direction or let's say comfortable direction when really you're moving into a very uncomfortable, like Hmm. growth is not comfortable. I'll Hmm. just, I'll I'll just say that. I'm trying to remember why I got there, but Oh, because we have this rational society that is not in touch with their creative, um, inherent creative 
uh, life force and intuition. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens is that becomes so polarized that it creates neurosis. It creates depression and anxiety. And um, I'm an accountant. I can't be creative. Yeah. I'm and then a they're graphic neurotic, designer. Right? I can't do math. <laughs> yeah i don't know no 100 <laughs> me as an artist my shadow is i can't create curriculum like i can't write in my journal i can't yeah. you know i don't want to i don't want to be in space and time i want to be in this ethereal like non-linear yeah. existence and so writing in my journal sounds bonkers like i don't i don't read well i don't write well truth is i just don't want to do it Mm-hmm. that's my issue with the shadow that's not everyone's you know mm-hmm. like sometimes it does take a lot of work to get better at writing and reading and whatever but uh. so jared now he's overcome a lot in the past decade and a half come a long way as a as a composer as a musician as a artist as a whole what do you wish you had known when you were first starting out like what do you wish you could Go back and tell 18-year-old or 17-year-old Jared. Yeah. What do you wish you could tell him? I wish I could tell him, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. This is fun. Don't try to be this a perfectionist. This is supposed to be fun. Yeah. yeah. Don't try to be the next Bach immediately. Like, just yeah. try to be Jared, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Seriously, kind of stop thing. comparing yourself to the greats. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, really, like, it was, it's like, don't take yourself so seriously. I think yeah. that's my advice to everyone, like, whether you believe in a, like a, a greater like organizing power um, or whatever, like life can be and should be fun. Um, not to say shitty things aren't going to happen to you because every, everyone dies. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so you're going to have people you love dying. What? In, until, yeah, I know. I had spoiler, no one told me. Spoiler alert. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. And, uh, so shit, you know, that's, it's traumatizing to have people that your worldview changes when your mom dies, you know, yeah. or, um, and so I'm not trying to say that we have to pretend like there's not darkness, yeah. but by confronting the darkness, um, there's more light. Like, yeah. I, I don't mean to sound so esoteric or whatever, but like there's, you find joy by confronting the the misery i I tend to look at it like this i've i've been married and divorced it was very intense me too no way okay cool have fun um (laughs) (laughs) i love being a child bride um i'm kidding it was my choice i was an adult barely but barely (laughs) me too (laughs) nice i don't think i'm still i'm not i'm still not an adult i'm only 30 come on yeah 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 i mean adult 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 schmult but um (laughs) Where was I going with this? Oh, Sorry. and and it was an incredibly painful experience, right? Uh, and I, but the most interesting thing happened. I found that when I was going through uh, intense, painful experiences where I felt a lot more grief and a lot more darkness, yeah, my capacity to feel light grew right. the same amount. Yeah. Meaning. For as much pain, like I felt new depths of pain that I'd never felt before. But I also found that I was able to feel new, new depths of joy yeah. that I had never felt before. Yeah, there's a, I don't know the quote exactly. I think it's in Latin, but Carl Jung, and I'm such a fanboy, I don't mean to be. But he, it's something like, and maybe he's quoting somebody else. It might even be the Bible, I don't know. But the, you can't, or 
in order to reach the heavens, your roots must grow to hell. Yeah. Something like that. But it's so true. Like, mm-hmm. um, you can't really conceive of how good your life is until you realize how bad it could be or will be. Or like, I don't know. There's an aspect of, um, I love stoicism, like the actual philosophers, like, um, Marcus Aurelius reading mm-hmm. his daily reflections, like his, the book's called meditations, I think, yeah. but meditation, the word meant essentially reflection, daily reflections, but, um, it's kind of evolved over the time. Although I would recommend maintaining all of the definitions of me- meditation, by the way, like, and doing all of them. But anyway, do you meditate? Yeah. I reflect on my day, but I also, so, but I also do breathing. Yeah. I also do, um, active imagination. So like if I have a dream, I did this this morning where there's some symbols or some, uh, concepts that don't make sense to me because dreams are fascinating, by the way, a lot of my progress has come from doing dream work stuff, but, um, I will sit and actually go back into the dream once I wake up mm-hmm. and f- like fantasize. It's it's that left arm atrophied part of our society that thinks like dreams are nonsense. But it's like, yeah. what if you were to go in and play? Like, what if you're going to go back in and like what actually just have, have fun? fun? Yeah, oh. it's really weird. Yeah. And also fantasize, right? <laughs> yeah. You fantasize about stuff and like. Mm-hmm. Like a little kid again, yeah. right? Like maybe there's a person in the room and you get to talk to him or something. Like yeah. I've, you know, maybe hip- you can have an imaginary friend at work. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm serious. Though. Yeah, no, I'm That's totally serious. into it. In fact, um, some recent advice I got. I wish I remembered his name off of the young platform. Youngplatform uh, dot com is really awesome if you're interested in learning more about Jung, but um, or modern Jungian ideas that have evolved quite a bit in a hundred years. So what was I just saying? Hold on. Oh, I, I was listening to one of the interviews with uh, one of the like teachers there. And um, he was saying like, you can, if you see an animal in your dream, like when you wake up, call that animal back, like, you know, close your eyes and kind of densify the animal and then like bring him into the room with you. Like he had an owl, he brought the owl into the room and then he had the he actually uses Play-Doh and he closes his eyes and he forms the owl mm. so that it like densifies it even more into this reality. And then he'll go on a walk with the owl, like in real life, mm-hmm. and he will follow the owl. So he's just playing like a kid, mm-hmm. right? Like he's playing imaginary friend, mm-hmm. um, but then the owl will take him other places. Like he saw a grove of trees. He's like, I want to go there. Yeah. But then the owl went to the left and he's like, oh, I guess I'm going to the left, right? So he's like playing with, and, mm-hmm. and that, and then he finds all of these insights for his book that he's writing. He he was on a block, like a, he yeah. had writer's block or whatever. And he followed the owl to insight. Really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That stuff is so fun, but you have to suspend disbelief which is another phrase uh uh, robert bosnick who i'm also studying with uh always says suspend your disbelief as in stop like just pretend let's pretend you know we've definitely which is inherently also creative and when you're writing music it's so important to pretend Mm -hmm. like filmmaking is just pretend like that's what we're doing. We yeah. just like made it look fancy. And, and not everyone can pretend because it's been trained out of them. There was yeah. a time when everyone could pretend. Yeah. But as they get older, yeah. people lose the ability. Well, I oh, just think re- of like really, parties and yeah. stuff were much more like, like, yeah, like theater and plays and yeah. like all of the, I, I just read Hamlet again and I was just like, this is so playful, you know, like it's, it's also like 
insane and tragic and all these weird things it's actually really interesting i never i did not like hamlet when i read it in high school you know and i read it again i'm like this is fascinating um and hard to read like you have to pretend to read it as in like you have to extract what you think or you can just read what somebody else thinks or read it aloud a lot of shakespeare's kind of meant to be read yeah definitely um the whole reason that I've started this podcast is because I'm a firm believer that creativity is innate. Yeah. While not everyone feels the call to be artists, I think that everyone could learn from artists. And that's why the guests who I interview are artists who have boldly pursued, uh, well, an artistic pursuit, right? Uh, I was going to say that I think it's interesting because like even non-artistic people or people whose daemon or who, people whose archetype or like their life calling isn't inherently artistic can use artists approach to life to find their calling as in like that pretending and that following of the owl or whatever that uh, the aspect of like learning more about like a uh like where do i belong in this community what what like archetype do i want to take form to inherently be valuable to my community around me but also to fill me with life like yes not everyone's is going to be the artist of the community right but but you can use the artist is almost like a shaman of sorts that will like pull you into like your own psyche and actually like formulate and um solidify Mm -hmm. and help you grow in order to find that Mm -hmm. that path that has the the bar the health bars on it or whatever but i do want to say like working on that psychology and stuff has helped me build a relationship with my creativity that was not abusive yeah as in like that Damon was abusing me for its content and learning how to set boundaries all of a sudden we're in this relationship that's healthy and i'm starting to be like oh i can feel that you need to write music today i'll sit down and play a song and then it's like whoa that was an amazing song i didn't even have to do any work because it was just waiting behind the door if i just let it in right Mm -hmm. and then i learned like i spent recording my album i spent like four months trying to get the mic placement right. Like I went to a studio and did it. I hated every single recording, not because the engineer, but because the piano and like the space. And I was like, I have to just do it on the, my piano at home. And so then I spent like two more months, like placing the mics, recording it to tape is too low fi recording it to digital is too high fi Like I, I was like everything. And then finally I just, there was a storm that rolled through and I, and I, I got the placement on my MD 421 and my, you know, my CAD, e x 100 or something anyway and it just was like this is it and i recorded all 12 songs in almost one sitting um and like there's rain in the background and i was just like this is the feeling i want you to feel like you're sitting with me in this room with this daemon like with this energy right Mm -hmm. and so i felt like i captured it and Mm -hmm. now i'm just sitting waiting for the world to i'm just waiting to uh, my therapist describes it as like you birth the child and then you have to prep it to go to preschool. But once you're like, once you put the coat on and send them out the door, like it's on its own. So I'm just like getting the coat and like making sure he's ready before, before I push him out the then door. Then what's next? Where are you sending him off to school? Oh, I don't know. I think, um, honestly, I'm just sharing it with community and then celebrating it with a small group of people. And then mm-hmm. I will see what happens. Uh, it's and, always and like we'll you f- figure that out 2022 yeah 2022 i mean that's the goal it's i've been writing it for over seven years wow yeah 
That's it's like exciting. the Damon's actual yeah. like like the D- Damon EP is about how much like the Damon is asking me to create this album. I love it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. Well, I love your work. I love your piano work especially. Jared's super talented. Go check him out. Well, I was gonna say I'm also moving into a time where I'm actually like you've already said this, but I'm moving into being a mentor and that can really hold space for anything that you're trying to grow in. Um, and like, I'm really excited about it. Um, it, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to be a musician. Um, you can be a musician. You can be, you know, dealing with anything, any type of, uh, anxiety, depression, struggling with addiction, all sorts of things. Um, and I absolutely would love to work with people. So I just wanted to put that out there. Cool. And I'm I'm already working where, where with like a handful of people. I have contact you website social. Social media is the easiest right now. I will have, my website. I have the domain name jaredraygilmore.com, but it's not up yet. But yeah. it will be and but Instagram jaredraygilmore, TikTok jaredraygilmore. Yeah, and we're ca- and we're catching you pretty early because you know you're crossing yep. your T's and dotting your I's. Yep. A year from now. Um, you know, you'll have phased out of uh, working at Spy Hop and actually, have moved on to this nig- not big even a next year. adventure. Yeah, it's actually uh, so in January. Yeah. Okay. So I guess next year, but not yeah, one but, year from now. But, but still, I mean, only change is constant. It's gonna yeah. change again. Which yeah. Is exciting. Oh yeah, it's, it's super intense, exciting. but it'll be fun. Um, awesome. Very excited about it. Yeah. Congrats! That's fantastic. Thank you, Jared. It's been awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your insights, uh, your experiences, and your vulnerability. Yeah, thank you for having me. I absolutely enjoy it. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. I have to admit, uh, going into this episode, I felt a little unsure of what to think about death work, as my rational mind tends to want to take over and just almost be a skeptic about it. But by the end, I found the personifying Damon ideas very enlightening and useful. I'd love to know your thoughts. Remember, you can keep up with Artbreakers at the handle Artbreakers Podcast on Instagram and message the profile for notes, topic suggestions, and artists you want to hear from. Thanks for tuning into Artbreakers and catch you next week.